0: Good morning. I'll be reading from the book of Galatians, starting in chapter 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Did you ever notice uh, how often great discoveries come out of huge problems? Right? Think about the history of science and medicine. You see that all the time. For instance, a huge problem in the uh, history of the world, really, um, was a disease called smallpox. Smallpox was devastating. In this country, European settlers brought it here. It wiped out entire native civilizations. In Europe, it was a devastating plague. In Africa and all over the world, Estimates are that in the 20th century alone, get this, the 20th century alone, smallpox wiped out 300 to 500 million people. I know that's a wide range, but it's hard to figure out how many. 300 to 500 million people. In the late 1700s, a doctor observed something in the middle of a smallpox outbreak in England. You know what he discovered? He discovered that a group of people classified as the milkmaids never got smallpox. When everybody around them was getting smallpox, they never did. And he wondered why. Why? And as he began to observe, he realized that many of these milkmaids had another disease called cowpox. Now cowpox actually came from the udder of the cow. A cow would have pox, usually on its udder, and as the milkmaids were milking the cow, that infection would spread to them and they would get sores on their hands, and they called it cowpox. This physician recognized that none of those people were getting smallpox. And so you know what he did? He took the pus from the cowpox virus and injected it into a subject to see whether or not it would be an antidote to the smallpox virus. And the vaccine that saved tens of millions of people in the 20th century came to be. Antidotes are amazing because a lot of times great discoveries like those come out of a crisis, a big problem. When the Apostle Paul in Galatians, which is our passage for today, or other passages speaks about the human condition in addressing the church, he begins with a problem, almost always. He doesn't argue that the problem exists. He just assumes the problem exists because, as he would put it, it's a universal problem. And what's the problem? Sin. Sin just messes things up. It destroys all kinds of things. It creates all kinds of problems in the world. And Paul says, this has got to be addressed. You know what sin does? Well, first of all, let's remember this. Sin is the source of all evil, right? That's what the scriptures teach us. But sin is also self-destructive. Did you notice the list of the lust of the flesh and how many of those are self-destructive? Sin also creates discord, all kinds of disharmony in the world. And sin alienates us from God and from others. And of course, the most damning thing about sin is that eventually it causes death. That's why we die, the scriptures say, because of sin. It entered the world, and through sin comes death. Paul says that's the problem. It's a universal problem. It's for everyone. And there is actually a solution. There's an antidote to the problem. Now, if you were going to come up with an antidote for sin, probably your antidote would be something like mine. It would be rules right it'd be law it'd be a way to put a fence around sin so that it couldn't get out that it was kept in check Paul gives us a surprising antidote it's not law not at all he doesn't say law is bad Sometimes we contrast law and grace as if Paul was saying law was bad. He doesn't say law is bad. As a matter of fact, he says the law of God is righteous, holy, good. It's for a good purpose. But it's not the antidote to sin. You know what law is like? It's a little bit like a guardrail. Okay? Think about the law of God as a guardrail. That keeps you from completely going over the edge. It doesn't solve the sin problem, but if you follow the law, things will probably be better in large part. When um, my family and I one time uh, took a trip to Bolivia, we went all the way up to a very high elevation in a town called Simapata. And uh, on the way up to that high elevation, we took a taxi. Now, um, we were going up up, 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 but around, 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 and around. In other words, hairpin turns. And the taxi cab driver was flying. And as I recall, there were no guardrails. Now, my wife is critical of my driving. I thought she was going to come unglued when the taxi cab driver was going up that mountain. Actually, she had a calm, unusual strange sense of repose. I don't know if it's just me that she worries about or what it was, but for the most part, my kids were gawking over the edge of cliffs that went straight down. My wife had her head down looking at her lap with her eyes closed. There were no guardrails. The guardrails were absolutely essential in our mind to keep us from going over the edge we never went over the edge the guy was a great driver but we could have and what would have kept us from going over the edge really only one thing the guardrail so consider the law of God to be like that a guardrail the law of God when followed keeps society from going over the edge The law of God when followed keeps you from going over the edge. But the law of God when followed is not the solution or the antidote for sin. So what is the antidote for sin? This is where Paul says something remarkable and surprising. He says the antidote for sin is not a set of rules. The antidote for sin is grace. Grace? Yep that's the antidote for sin the grace that comes from and through our Lord Jesus Christ hmm. I didn't expect that well I did I you know, I've read Paul several times but if I was reading for the first time I I wouldn't have expected that but you know what grace is this is the way Paul understands grace Grace is first to receive the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. To recognize that the cross of Jesus Christ is the grace that's been extended to you and everyone else who will receive it. That's first. The second part of grace is to be able. To be able to truly love God. That's grace. Because you can't even love God with a pure heart without grace. And there's something else that's grace. And this is why Paul says it's the antidote. To all the sin that besets us, to receive forgiveness from the cross of Jesus Christ, to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And you know the last part of that commandment of Jesus, right? To love your neighbor as yourself. Or let me put it another way. Receive grace, love God, distribute grace to others. That's the antidote for sin. I love Paul's antidote for sin, but I also love Paul's honesty. Paul's not the kind of person who suggests that he's got a solution for you and everything's going to be perfect after that. Paul acknowledges a reality called life. He acknowledged it in this passage. He basically said, in spite of the fact that grace is abundant and free, in spite of the fact that that is the antidote for sin, I must acknowledge along with you that there's a war being waged on the inside of each one of us. Even when grace is with us. And the war that's being waged on the inside of us is a war against sin. Because by nature, we're not filled with grace. By nature, we're not inclined to follow God. By nature, we're inclined to do what? Follow ourselves. Did you notice how often self emerges in the list of sins? I mean, as a matter of fact, let me read them and see if you can't, can't extract self from almost every one of them. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. They're all about self. None of them are really about God or others, are they? None of them reflect grace. They're all very self centered. Now, listen by contrast. But this fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. The ongoing reality of life is this, says Paul. You're either going to be a slave to sin or you're going to be a slave to the law. If you're a slave to sin, you're going to give yourself over to the flesh and be absolutely self-consumed. And if you're a slave to the law, it is going to oppress you because you're going to think that somehow if you follow the law, you can solve the sin problem and you won't have any more lust of the flesh. Either way, you're going to have a master and neither master is the one you want to live with. What you need to live with is the mastery of grace. Paul says, here's the beautiful good news. You have been given an opportunity to live as a free person. You don't have the ability on your own to live a life that is not inclined to the lust of the flesh because it's within your nature. You don't have the ability, quite frankly, Paul says, to live for God, to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But God has given you the grace through Jesus Christ in the forgiveness that comes from the cross to actually live a new kind of life, which is to live in the Spirit. And when you live in the Spirit and not in the flesh, when you live for God and you live for others, when you do that, your life is going to blossom. And the blossoming he calls fruit. And when you live in the Spirit, the fruit will be abundant. I just read you the list of the fruit of the Spirit. That's not complete, right? Paul didn't intend for us to say, oh, that's it. If I've got all those things, we're good, right? It's just a list of things that would be described as fruit in the Spirit. It's not absolutely an exhaustive list. But it is a wonderful list. I I know there's a lot of ways to divide up lists like this. But I want to divide them up into three parts, just for a minute, and see if you can see it with me. Love, joy, peace. That fruit, at least for me, I see as an indication of relationship with God. If I'm in right relationship with God, I experience love. I experience joy. I experience peace. Or how about these fruit of the Spirit? Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. That fruit sounds like relationship with others, doesn't it? The first sounds like Love of God and relationship with God. The second list that I described sounds like relationship with others. I'm, I'm patient with others because God's been patient with me. I'm kind to others because God has been kind to me. I'm gentle with others because God has been gentle to me. And although, by the way, I'm not gentle and kind and patient just with those I love. But if the fruit of the Spirit is a part of my life, if I'm following Christ, if I'm living in the Spirit, I'm kind and patient and gentle and full of goodness towards, yes, you guessed it, my enemies. Because Jesus was. So the antidote for sin, it's this. I love the way Paul ends this passage. He lists the fruit of the Spirit and then he says, I've got even more good news for you. There's no law against these things. As a matter of fact, these things are unlimited. In reality, if you enter in these things, you can't do them too much. To put it another way, if you live in these things, you can't go wrong. You can mess up the law big time and it can become an oppressive thing in your life. You can mess up your life by running after the lust of the flesh. But if you run after these things, if you live in the spirit that produces this kind of fruit, you can't do too much of it. And there's no law against it. Nobody's going to say, stop being so kind. Oh, maybe they will. But God won't. When I was a young man, I raised fruit trees. They weren't mine, they were a rich guy's fruit trees, 25 varieties of citrus, and I liked my work. And all summer long, we invested in the trees. We trimmed them, we fertilized them, we watered them. We didn't use any insecticides on them because if you cared for them well, you didn't need that. We nurtured the trees so that around October, tiny little itty bitty green fruit would appear. And the fruit would just keep growing. November was a big anticipation month because they were starting to get orange or yellow, as the case may be. And by the time Christmas came, it was harvest. I I could have eaten those things all day. And as a matter of fact, I did because there were too many of them. We just pull them off the tree and eat them. You know, not once after investing in those trees, not once did I look at any variety of those 25 different fruit trees and say to myself, man, this year they just bore too much fruit. I wish they'd stop it. I guarantee you, says Paul, if you invest in the life of the Spirit, if you receive the forgiveness of Christ, if you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and if you distribute the grace that's been given to you, fruit will blossom in your life, and there will never be too much of it. It will be unlimited. There's no law against it. This is the way to live. Now, you know what? Hearing that kind of description, you might ask yourself this question. Who would choose the first list? Honestly, who chooses that list? Who would choose a list called debauchery and hatred and discord? Why would you choose that? You wouldn't choose that. Not in your best moments. You would say, there's no way I want that list. I want the list called the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I might say to you, you know, that's because you can just see it. That's because it's so obvious to anybody that that first list is not what you want, that you choose the second list. Actually, if I were to communicate that, I'd be communicating Paul something that Paul's not communicating. Paul doesn't actually say nobody wants the first list. He actually says a lot of us intuitively do want the first list because it's all about self. We want to self-saturate. What Paul says is that you want the second list and the reason, my friends, the reason, the reason you want the second list is because the Spirit of God is alive in you. That's why you want the second list. And here's even more good news. Because the Spirit of God is alive in you, you've been been given the grace to produce the second list. And all of it's because of grace. None of it's because of rules. None of it's because of law. None of it's because of your goodness. It's all because of the grace of Jesus Christ. So when you receive that grace every single day, And when you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and you distribute the grace you've been given, you're going to be like one of those fruit trees that I used to pick in December. You'll be so laden with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, goodness, self-control. Why? Because you can't take in Too much forgiveness and too much grace. The more you take it in, the more it produces life in you. You know, sometimes we talk about sharing the good news. You know what the greatest good news would be? If people looked at us on the corner of 2nd and High Street, and said those people are like fruit trees that are full of fruit. That'd be sharing the good news. So let's try. Let's try beginning in this Thanksgiving season. Let's try to stop focusing on the rules and the law and focus on grace and love God and distribute the grace we've been given. Will you pray with me? Lord, you've um, given us the greatest news of all. That's why we call it the good news. The good news that when we were dead in our transgressions and in sins, when we were completely controlled by our sinful nature, you stepped into our lives and you said, it doesn't need to be that way. I'm not asking you to get better. I'm not asking you to reform, to clean up your act. I'm asking you to receive something that you can't even give yourself. I'm asking you to receive forgiveness and my grace. And then I just want you to live in such a way that is grateful for the grace you've been given. I want you to love me. How hard is that after I've given you grace? And I want you to love others because you were first loved by me. And if you do that, you say, our life will be a life in the Spirit and it will bear fruit. So we pray, Lord, You will shift our focus because our focus so easily goes back to law. You will shift our focus to grace. And you will help us to be overwhelmed with love for you and love for others. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.